All right. Welcome, everyone, to the first edition of Pragmatic's new online AMA and product chat series. Uh, this is our inaugural event, and we're super excited that so many of you have decided to join us today. Um, but before we get started, uh, just to kind of address the elephant in the room, uh, less than three weeks ago, the world changed drastically in a way that, at least for me, I've never experienced in my career. Uh, and this kind of global, large-scale change of course brings a ton of questions uh, and I am not going to pretend that we at Pragmatic or that myself or Paul can answer any of those really critical big questions on people's minds with this new reality but we did think that we might be able to help answer some of the questions as it relates to product management product marketing even the new sort of training paradigm and that we were also uniquely positioned to be able to host conversations about the questions we don't have answers to, right? That none of us do. Things like, you know, how do you price products during a crisis? How do you market in a time when no one is buying? Or even how do you do Nahito visits when no one is in the office to visit? Um, and so we're setting up two different interactive online channels for these conversations. The first, which is what we're test driving today, is a weekly Ask Me Anything or Mailbag session. Fridays, 10.30 Pacific, 1.30 Eastern, one of our instructors will be answering questions, facilitating discussions on topics sent in by you during the week and asked by participants, participants in the call. Um, we'll get through as many as we can, so feel free to start submitting them in the chat function, and thank you for those who already submitted their questions via email. Um, and as those we can't get to today, we'll try to address in blogs or podcasts or in other mediums, or if it's a particularly meaty topic, uh, something super passionate that we get. Rebecca, I think we lost your, uh, your audio. Oh, darn. There, there you go. You hit your button. I did. I totally hit my, it's my excitement. Mm. I hit my button in the excitement. So I'm going to put the button down. Keep my hands where everyone can see them. Uh, but the uh, product chat is the other sort of new online conversation channel. Uh, this will be informal discussions with one or two or even three product pros where they present some best practices and tips on a topic and then really open up the Zoom channel for discussion and questions. So less formal than a typical webinar, but still with lots of really good takeaways um, and a good chance to kind of share best practices and feedback with peers. So that's our plan to keep the conversations and the networking going through the next weeks, the months, the years. Um, and this call is our MVP. So as such, after this call, please, please share your feedback, your suggestions, what worked, what didn't, what topics <clears throat> matter to you. Uh, and then you can just email me those directly at the address on the screen. Uh, so you don't have to just know how to spell my last name or you can shoot us feedback in the ask the pack form or on social we're just we really want to evolve and make sure that these events are really the most useful and productive they can be for you guys so uh, that's why we're here uh, so and who's here with us well there's dozens and dozens and dozens of you joining us uh, we've also got one of our most popular instructors, Paul Young. Paul has more than a decade of experience leading hardware, software, service product teams. Uh, he's also had the pleasure of teaching thousands of you from the front of the classroom, and most recently over the last month, starting last December, from uh, teaching you from the comfort of his own home office, which is where you see him in now. So welcome, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm really jazzed to do the uh, first AMA with, uh, with Pragmatic and with all of you. So excited to see what you come up with and I think we'll have a good time. But I will Everybody. say y'all are, are embarrassing me because nobody has their video on. So you gotta turn on your video. 
right? We got, we're, we're trying to break Zoom. And so I don't know how many, <laughs> what's the upper limit of like people that can have their video on with Zoom, but we're gonna try to get there. So I'm challenging everyone, right? Nobody cares about your pajamas. Nobody cares about how messy your office is. Turn on your video, be like me. Uh, we're gonna see each other's smiling face and we're gonna have a good time today. And you know, if you're intimidated by Paul's background, you know, you can just look around. I'm like in the corner. You might see cats, dogs, whatever. Don't be intimidated. It's all good fun. All right, Paul, I got a good question submitted yesterday via email. So I'm going to start there. All right. Go for it. Okay. So the question, they've seen the distinction between product manager, product owner, and product marketing work well. A new role, product operations. How prevalent is in the market and what spawned it? Uh, yeah, good question. So product ops or product operations is coming up more. And like you started to see it in development first with DevOps, right? Yeah, I'm sure many of us have DevOps groups that we work with. Well, product ops is kind of like the other side of that coin. <clears throat> um, and the idea behind product ops in a lot of companies is that they're looking at things like metrics. They're thinking about measurements. Uh, they're looking at things they can do to lift off of the product team so that they can focus the product team more on the things that they want the product team focused on, which is, you know, the strategy, the roadmap, where are we going, not having to necessarily dig into um, all the analytics and, and looking at that. So what I typically find product ops doing is working with their data science team to look at the analytics for the products, uh, assessing metrics, publishing dashboards, and basically the care and feeding the health aspects of the product and, and clearing the decks so the product marketers and product managers can uh, can do a little bit more of what they were hired to do. At least that's the idea. Um, as to how prevalent is it? Uh, not super prevalent yet, although it's definitely coming up. Um, I would say rough estimate, I don't have data on this, but I would say you know maybe 15%, 10 to 15% of the companies that I go work with nowadays have product ops in place. And that number is rapidly growing. And I think it will continue to grow because it's a pretty valuable role. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely coming up to sort of a hot, a hot roll now. You, you will see a lot more product ops uh, job postings out there in the world uh, over the next year uh, than you've ever seen before. Do you want to do a quick poll and see who here has product ops in their organization? Yes. Yes. Actually, this is a good opportunity. So if you look under your participants panel in Zoom, uh, there's a little thing called raise hand uh, where you can raise your hand. Um, <clears throat> and so go click on that raise hand button if you've got product ops. And I don't have raise hand, but I have clap. So I'm going to clap. There you go. I'm clapping for myself. There you go. Um, <laughs> so yeah, raise your hand if you have product ops in your organization. I see Rob does, Daniel does, a couple of you. Uh, and we've got about, you know, 80 uh, or 90 or so participants on here. Okay. So more of you coming up. So about five, six of you. Okay, good. Good. Chad, start. <clears throat> You're going to see more of it. Um, as we go through, like I said, it's going to be raised in popularity. Pretty much every company that's doing software nowadays has a DevOps group. And so I think you're going to see it follow a similar curve. Uh, product ops, especially in software, especially in B2B, you're going to see a lot more product ops uh, in the coming months and years. All right, go ahead and put down your hands because we might use that in the future and I don't want to influence the future stuff. And maybe we can do yes, no too. I think the raise hand, not everybody has. I'm not sure why, but uh, yeah, okay. That's hard to find. Okay. Yes. Uh, another good question that just came in from a chat. Uh, so it's really about working in, in this environment that we're in today um, and whether or not they should still be sort of making the same types and decisions that they had in the past and it's kind of taking that same firm leadership role or do they need to side on the uh, kind of go on the side of caution and see where chips mm -hmm. fall? 
Well, every business is different, right? You know your business better than any of us on this call. Um, but from a, I kind of look at it as two separate two separate questions, right? The first question is from your product strategy, from your business strategy. Yeah, you're probably going to be a little bit more cautious right now, depending on uh, the type of business you're in. You know, obviously, if your business is to build N95 masks, then you're going to be pretty aggressive, right? Now's the time to expand. Now's the time to invest in manufacturing and all those things you need to do to push more out the door because you literally cannot build enough of that product right now. On the other hand, if you're building something that the market would look at and say, you know, that's not an essential business, then maybe it's time to, you know, pull back, work on tech debt, you know, work on some things that are a little bit more uh, conservatively focused um, and not, you know, maybe, maybe defer that big product launch um, that you were going to hope to do at the trade show a little bit, you know, so that you can work on some of that other stuff. Um, but from a, personal standpoint, like you and your personal brand, I would say now is the perfect opportunity. If you're a product marketer, if you're a product manager, if you're a product owner, if you're any of those types of roles to really kind of seize the, the brass ring, so to speak, and get that leadership, that thought leadership in your organization where people start to see you as the, you know, president, the CEO of your product, so to speak. That's the, that's the old analogy. Um, and there's a lot of ways that we can do that. <clears throat> we'll talk about some of them here today using tools like Zoom. Um, but this is an opportunity for you to show the data you've gathered in the market, um, how we can apply that to make better decisions, drive decisions to be made. A lot of times I see companies get stuck in analysis paralysis when we're meeting on Zoom, when we're meeting on Zoom all the time, we can't actually make a decision, right? Product team, you've got a unique position in the organization to be able to say, no, 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 we have the data. We have a decision that we need to make here. Let's go forward and let's still get the, the important work of our business done, even though the, the world has changed a little bit. Yeah, I think sometimes in the, the face of adversity can be a, a big time to, to show your leadership, even if you don't technically have that title uh, and, and to be able to kind of demonstrate your strength. Uh, the cat is sitting on the list of questions. So I'll move the cat. Uh, so, uh, curious what you read, this is another email question, curious what your read on the B2B market looks like given this current situation. Uh, will anyone be buying and if so, what do you think they'll be focused on? And I think it'd be great to, to hear if people were having sort of peaks and valleys in their own business today. Yeah, I would love that. And so this is a good opportunity for you guys to type into the text uh, chat box um, and talk about your situation as well. So. You know, I, I'm curious, I'll give you my perspective uh, as to what people are buying and not buying, but in B2B, I'd like to hear from all of you, whether you're B2B or B2C, you know, what, what's working, what isn't, you know, within your product portfolio. Um, I have found just from the students that I've had in class in the online sessions that I've taught over the last month, that it's the normal spaces that you would expect to be really impacted during a, uh, a crisis like what we're going through. So you've got a lot of demand in, you know, obviously the healthcare space, the insurance space, the med tech and biotech space is getting slammed right now. Um, <clears throat> and then other spaces like entertainment, um, things like that, leisure, uh, a little bit less so. Uh, so they're kind of having to pull back a little bit and be a little bit more cautious. But then you have tools like, you know, Facebook where everybody's running to, um, because that's, you know, we talk about social distancing, but that's the one place we can actually go you know, our social channels to have those conversations now. So they're, they're actually doing pretty well. Uh, they're getting more, more viewership. And I, somebody told me the other day that Zoom, you know, obviously people are buying Zoom, they're buying collaboration tools, they're investing in Slack, Teams, 
they're doing Basecamp, they're doing all those tools that we don't use every day, Jira, AHA, et cetera. Um, somebody told me the other day that Zoom had, or at least has a higher market cap than Uber for a period of time. And it just shows you like, wow, that's pretty amazing if you think about it, like the amount of traffic. Somebody showed me a graph that said the traffic on Zoom had like quintupled over a period of just uh, a couple of weeks. Pretty amazing. So yeah, if you build collaboration tools, you're, as we say in Texas, uh, you're in high cotton right now. You're doing pretty well. It looks like I was kind of reading through the chat and I think that's very similar to what people are talking about in the B2B space. There are definitely some places that are seeing upticks. Uh, it was an interesting comment uh, that someone was kind of stocking their cupboards as a B2B market in the same way that so many people did in the B2C side in case there were logistics issues uh, getting products and things that they need. You know, we're, we're all looking at how we pivot our business right now. Pragmatic is no exception. Um, you know, many of you have come to the trainings that we've done in the past. You know, maybe I've even had some of you in our live classes that we've done in person. And those have worked really well for a long time. But what happens when like your entire business gets turned upside down overnight and all of a sudden you can't do live classes anymore with real people sitting around? You know, we had to completely re-architect the way we do business and now move everything online. Um, so we use tools like Zoom, you know, and everything like that. And so we've been doing these online sessions uh, teaching just like what you're in now. Uh, for months now and ironing out all the kinks and learning a lot, but it's pretty interesting when you think about moving an entire business model um, roughly in just 30 days um, to a whole new way of whole new way of working. I'm sure many of you are doing the same things. We got a, a good question in too, uh, as part of that chain too, it was uh, from Steve, who was talking about how to do Nahito and market visits during this time, right? When people aren't necessarily accessible, because they're on furloughed and being sort of um, cognizant of, of what they're going through, right? And getting your stuff, what you need, but not coming off tone deaf. So any thoughts about that, Paul? And I would think I'd love to hear from other people if they've, they've managed to get some market visits in the last few weeks. Yeah, if you've put in any market visits or we, we, you're familiar with our terminology, we call it Nahito. Nothing important happens in the office. Um, getting out of your office physically, virtually, talking to your customers, understanding what's going on in their world, observing them, interviewing them. That's what we refer to as a Nahito visit. <clears throat> and if you've ever been to a pragmatic session, you know that we build that as the foundation of everything that a product manager or product marketer is going to do. Because if you're going to do pricing, if you're going to do positioning, if you're going to do business planning, if you're going to do requirements, you have to understand your market. It's pretty critical. And so we are always encouraging people to get out from behind their desk, to go out into their, what, what I call their customer's native habitat, you know, wherever their customer lives or works, because that's where their problems are. We want to find out about their problems to build the right product. And so I'm curious how you guys are doing it today. Um, obviously, right now, you can't go into their native habitat for obvious reasons. So how do you do it? How do you do a Nihito visit? Well, guess what? It's still possible. Um, I don't use that as an excuse to not go. You can still go into their native habitat virtually um, using tools like what we're using here. Um, and so we've actually conducted Nihito visits before over tools like Zoom. Um, now, obviously it's different. If you are doing an in-person Nihito visit where you're sitting there with somebody in their native habitat, you get to walk around with them, you get some additional context, right? You can see what's in their office, you can see you know, what they're picking up and putting down and what their workflow looks like you miss a little bit of that when you're doing it over video. <clears throat> but there's some things that you get when you're doing it over Zoom that you can't get when you're doing it in person. 
And like, for example, many of you are working on software. So one of the things I like to do if I'm doing an Ahito visit over Zoom is I ask my research target to share their screen as they go through and they're using my product. Mm -hmm. And I can actually record the session and I can go back and I can see what they clicked on, what they're using, what they're not using. And it's a lot harder to do that in person unless you're going to like hold your phone over their, you know, over their shoulder as they use the product. And so I think that's an added benefit that you could do over um, online. It, it's a little harder to do uh, in person. Uh, Jeannie Powell mentioned something that they do. I don't know, Jeannie, if you want to unmute and share, if you just want me to read, if you're shy. Hey, yeah, hi. Um, yeah, so we work with academic institutions, um, specifically with libraries at major, you know, Yale, Harvard, all that sort of stuff. And they use our software and they're trying to figure out how to manage this stuff. Uh, and what we did, first we did our own AMA I guess that was a week ago, which was wildly popular and helpful, which included things like, you know, me and my t-shirt with my cat behind me, but also um, information about like, what are things that you can do to give your employees projects to work on that they can do from home? Um, like giving them some helpful tips like that. And also what are the changes that we're going to make in our software, like right the heck now, so that you can do something this week that you weren't able to do before, um, which made us, you know, super sexy and popular with them and all that stuff. But then we also set up these separate meetings with very, very small groups of them. So it's like a, it's a Nihito where you can magically talk to Yale and Harvard and Cornell all at the same time in their living rooms with their respective cats and talk about what's important to those specific subsections of our market. Because um, public libraries have very different needs than say, um, MIT or something like that. So that was um, something we're doing next week. They're super excited about it. They love the fact that we even came up with the idea. We haven't even done it yet and they already love us. <laughs> so um, it's adding a lot of goodwill and I think we'll get us a lot of valuable data just like a Nahito visit. I think it's great that you get the data but they think of it as a service for them. So oh, totally, that's, yeah. Like it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting about that, I think that's a great example, is that, you know, one, it makes you the hero and they're doing all the work. I love that. Um, but the other thing is that uh, we, we've been talking a lot about social distancing. You hear that in the news, that term. And I don't actually like that term. Um, I think physical distancing is probably the better term because we can still get social on a tool like this and be social with one another and have those conversations and do our research while still being physically distant. Um, and so I, I use the term physical distancing rather than social um, because I think there's still a lot of work that we can do there. So there is a question here, and then there's lots of people in agreement, and I would throw my hat in the yes category as well. Uh, but since we've been working from home, since the company has switched, we've been swamped with meetings and wondering if other people are saying, seeing the same thing. Um, maybe a good time to use those yes, no buttons again. But since you've gone from work from home, do you have more or less? Well, I can't do a yes, no with more or less, but do you have more meetings? Well, let's do it this way. If you, if you have more meetings, than you've ever had before hit the yes button. If you have no less or fewer meetings than you've had before hit the no button. We'll see, it'll be like our little informal poll. So yes is say, for more and no is for less. I'm not sure I have more, Paul, but um, I realized like my eyes hurt a lot more because usually I do in-person meetings, you know, a good chunk of the day and then you're on the computer and I'm always on the computer uh, having meetings this way, so. Yeah, like I see more uh, of the people have more meetings than, than fewer. Um, so far anyways. So I would say that for me, it's pretty similar. Um, 
Now, obviously it's a little different for me because, you know, as an instructor, I just, I lead sessions and I would do that in person or online. Um, but I also, like all of you have meetings that are going on outside of the teaching <clears throat> that I do. Um, but yeah, your eyes hurt a little bit more. You're a little bit more drained at the end of the day. It wouldn't seem like it'd be more draining. I mean, you're in your home, you're in your office, you've got your cats, you know, and so on. It doesn't feel like it'd be more draining, but I tell you, I walk out of my office at the end of the day and I am just beat. I'm sure many of you feel the same way. And so how do you say, how do you, how do you carve that down? Um, standard meeting productivity stuff, right? Say no. First of all, you don't have to be in every meeting. And I would be saying this, whether you were working from home right now or whether you were in an office, product managers go to too many meetings, period. Um, we do an annual survey of the greater product management marketing community. Uh, and it's, uh, it's available on our website uh, right now. In fact, Rebecca, maybe you or one of your team could actually put a link to that annual survey in the chat if people want to go click on it. But in that survey, we collect a lot of data from your peers about how much time you're spending in meetings and emails and things like that. And the last time I looked at the data, um, product managers, product marketers, they spend something like 50 hours per month in meetings and an equal amount of time on emails. So if you think about that, you spend over two weeks a month, over half a month on meetings and emails. And that number is probably going up right now. <clears throat> and for me anyways, as somebody who's done product my whole life, when I see that, what it tells me is I know what you're not doing, which is you're not spending time in the market. Because if you're spending all day on internal meetings, then you're not out there doing the other strategic part of your job. You're working with engineering and so on, all that's good stuff, but you gotta spend time in the market. How can you do that if you're spending half your time in meetings? And so a key part of that is saying no. How do you say no to a meeting? It's easy. You hit that decline button. And then if that meeting comes back to you, then you know that you probably needed to be there. Um, but I always think back to my mentor. My mentor, uh, when I was a young product manager, I went on vacation once and I came back from vacation after a week or two away from the office. And I had like 2000 unread emails and I was freaking out. Oh my gosh, I have all these unread emails. What am I going to do? And he looks at me and says, Paul, delete all of them. I said, what? He says, delete every single email. I said, what? And I was like, this guy's telling me, and he says, if it's important, they will come back to you. If it's not important, they won't. And of those 2000 emails, I think I got two that came back to me. And so I still, I use that lesson now when I think about, do I need to be in this meeting, right? Chances are you don't. So think about that. Only go to the meetings where you really need to be there. Um, I have another question, uh, actually back to sort of the Nahito visits when we're, when we're not there. And, and this was more about hardware. Since none of their players are in the spot, did you have any idea for hardware Nahito visits? That's a good question. I think it depends on what kind of hardware. Um, like I'll show you an example of a hardware product I just got. So I, like, I, first of all, I don't ever buy anything off Facebook. But like this showed up on my feed and I bought this. This is a little hardware device. Uh, it's called a AeroFit. And it's like a little breathing, it's a lung trainer that you like, you know, you put it in your mouth and you breathe and it has like resistance that you can put for inhale and exhale. And it gives you a little uh, report on your phone about how strong your lungs are and how you're breathing. It'd be really easy for the product manager for this to do a virtual Nihito visit with me, um, you know, just over Zoom like we're doing now. Like this kind of product would lend itself to that very well. Hardware, software, that kind of thing, B2C focused. On the other hand, if we're talking B2B, you know, if we're talking about a network switch, you know, from my time at Cisco, if we're talking about a cloud server, 
it's going to be a little bit more difficult to do a virtual Nahito visit. And so my Nihito focus, if I was working on one of those types of products, would be a little bit less on the observational aspect and a little bit more on the interview aspect. And so if you remember from training, whether I did it with you or another instructor, we ask open-ended high gain questions, questions that are uh, cannot be answered with a yes, no, and return a lot of information. And so that's where my focus is going to be if I'm doing hardware uh, right now, rather than observation. scrolling through all the questions uh, okay i have uh, another email question this is and I, I think this is again one of those things that may be newer for some than others but uh making shifts as we work remotely and tips on how to keep camaraderie and productivity particularly when working with adjacent departments um how to keep development focused uh and sort of bought in yeah, uh, it's balancing act, right? So on one hand, we just said, don't go to so many meetings. But on the other hand, like, how do you build camaraderie without meetings, right? You got to meet with people. Um, so my, my joking answer to this is, uh, is three words, online happy hour. Um, that's probably a good way to build camaraderie. In fact, I've done a couple of those. I'm sure many of you have as well. We actually had happy hour uh, last week over Zoom. Where we got a bunch of people together and we all had our you know drinks and you know you're able to talk about something other than work um that's a pretty good way to uh to build camaraderie i like the uh i like Jeannie's suggestion of adding a pets channel to uh slack or teams or maybe a, a meme channel uh, where you can post your memes as well that'd be good um i think the i think the main thing we need to do is just have empathy we need to have empathy for one another right everybody's human everybody's trying to get through the situation together um, usually I heard a great quote a while back, which is, um, when somebody else is misbehaving, we attribute it to their intentions. But when we're misbehaving, uh, we believe we have the best intentions in heart. Um, <clears throat> and so we tend to, you know, look for bad actions out of others, but not see it in ourselves. And so I think we need to just build empathy. We need to, um, believe that other people are trying to get the same work done that we are. One-on-one um, -on -one meetings can be really helpful. Just pick up the phone and talk to somebody, right? You don't have to wait for a big group session to hash something out. It's okay to call somebody. Yeah, listen generously, that's a good term. Um, great, uh, another great question. Uh, Alicia asks, for B2B market research, should we be pivoting as to who we're targeting? Hmm. So the, the, the pivot of who you target for well, B2B or B2C uh, for any type of research is what problem are you trying to solve in your product? And so if your product is, for example, first generation, uh, you're trying to get your foot in the door to make the initial sale, then our primary target is obviously on buyers because you're never going to get your foot in the door without the buyers buy-in. And so that's who we're going to talk to there. On the other hand, if you've got a mature product, uh, you've got a big install base. You're trying to keep them happy. You don't want to lose them. You're reducing churn and so on. We're focusing more on users. And so I think the, the, the question is less about in times of crisis, who do you focus on, but more about what problem are you trying to address in your product? Are you trying to induce sales? In which case it's the buyer. Are you trying to increase usage? Are you trying to increase customer sats? Are you trying to get renewals? In which case it's more of the user. Um, it's probably a mix of both for most of you that have mature products, but you know, where, where's your product in that life cycle? That's going to dictate more for you talking. 
So Paul, this question is uh, a little bit more specific, but uh, what, um, in this kind of time of crisis, how does pricing play a role in our reaction to the market changes? Or when should we, you know, sort of think of that lever to use? Yeah. So, well, first of all, let's step back from the crisis for just a second, because that's, this too shall pass, right? That's going to go away eventually. So price is the, probably one of the most powerful and certainly the fastest lever that you have to pull on as a product person in order to change the course of your product. You, know, you think about, you know, the four piece of marketing, you know, product promotion, price in place. Um, making a product change takes quarters, you know, making a promotional change, you could make it today, but you might, it might be a month or two before you see the impact. Making a sales channel change, that takes a long time. But making a pricing change, you can make that overnight and see the impact right away. And so let's recognize that price is a super powerful lever, but like any powerful weapon, it's dangerous if you turn it in the wrong direction. And so pricing right now in this crisis time is the, the, the risk is even higher than ever because we don't wanna set a price that people would look at and say, that's not fair. You're being exploitive, you're gouging, right? That'd be the worst thing because the damage to your brand and to your product is gonna last a lot longer than the price change because you're gonna roll it back really quick. Uh, we're seeing this right now. I talked about the N95 masks. Um, <clears throat> somebody was, uh, was called out, you know, just yesterday I saw something on my Twitter feed about they were selling masks that used to be $7 for a case of 100 for $4 a piece. It's like a 2,000% price increase. And most people will look at that and say, that's not fair. That's gouging, right? You're, you're, you're out to get us. And so price changes, specifically price increases, are actually okay during a time of crisis, but you gotta be careful. If you are raising your price so that you can expand production, so that you can bring in more resources to build more, you think about the masks as an example, maybe it's okay to go from seven to $14 for a case if that allows me to open up another production line or, or produce more. Most people would be okay with that. They might not be happy about it, but they're gonna be okay with it. On the other hand, if I'm putting a 2,000% price increase and I'm not using, it's just going to my bottom line, um, most people are gonna be pretty upset about that. They're gonna feel like that's gouging, so we gotta be really careful there. So. I think the question you got to ask yourself when you're pulling on the price lever, especially right now, is are you thinking about the risk aspects of pricing and would your market perceive that price change as fair or unfair and how are you presenting it to them? I hope that answers your question. Uh, I think Doug asked probably the question that's just on everybody's mind in general. It might be a, a great way to use the breakout rooms. Uh, is will the market ever go back to normal after all this is finally over or is this how it will be forever changed and, and where do we think some of those permanent changes might be what does the new normal look like yeah. actually yeah I want, I want to use the breakout rooms for this so so here's what we're gonna do zoom has this feature that we use when we train called breakout rooms uh, and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna break this whole session up into a series of smaller individualized breakout sessions and so you're gonna be in a little breakout room with like five or six of your peers. And I want you to have a brief discussion about what the new normal is gonna look like. And then we're gonna leverage our group uh, uh, collective knowledge when we come back to see if we can find any key learnings. Did we come up with the same things? Did we come up with different things? And so on. 
so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to break into those rooms, and that's your assignment, uh, is to figure out what is new normal going to look like and how are things going to change or, or not change as we move into the future. And so let's see, I'm going to set this at 12 rooms, create breakout rooms. So go on into your room. I'm going to leave you there for about five minutes, then I'll pull everybody back, and we'll see what we came up with. All right, welcome back, everybody. So I'm curious how your discussion went, uh, what you found out. First of all, some people, you know, we had this, we had this AMA scheduled for 30, but we got so many questions uh, that we actually are gonna just keep going uh, for another few minutes here. Uh, so if you got in a room and you only had a handful of people, that's why some people had to drop off and so on. Uh, but I'm curious how your, uh, how your discussion went. Like, what did you find out? Uh, you can either unmute and shout it out or you can type it in the chat. You know, what, what do you think that normal is going to look like uh, as we move into this new world post-COVID? Uh, post okay, so, so, I, so I, I am dialing in from uh, Epsom, Surrey in the UK, just outside of London. And, uh, you know, I was just saying that we, you know, we used to go shopping into, in, into supermarkets to buy our groceries on a weekly basis. That's all died now to a large extent. After, you know, shelves have been emptied across the world. And you know, so so people are now receiving a lot more online deliveries, um, ordering online. So I think that potentially has made us think actually, in an adverse way. I think I think it's good to go out. I think people are now thinking, well, you know, I can spare one hour here and there by not sort of going in. That could be new normal. And I think you know, I you know, in terms of feature and function of new products. Um, the question is, how long will this virus last? You know, is it a couple of months? Is it eight months? What happens when the, the current set of products are not being used? You know, what are the new problems that we need to discover? So, you know, and then how will the feature and functions change, uh, you know, for those new problems? Um, yeah, they are the, the, the latter is the unanswered question, in my opinion, that we, that we probably all don't know the answer to currently, how long, unless, Unless, Paul, do you guys have a, a view of your clients? How, how long do they think uh, this would last in the U.S. or across the world? Yeah. Million-dollar question, right? Mm. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor or an <laughs> epidemiologist or any of that, so uh, yeah. I, I think I'm not qualified to answer that question, but uh, it's, it can't be soon enough. I'll just say no, that. Exactly. Yeah. You know, whenever, whenever it's done, we're all looking forward to that. But uh, I think you're right, more people are gonna to transition to delivery. Uh, and we, we're all worried about like the crisis and how it's gonna affect our business. But I think what a lot of people are also overlooking is that there's huge opportunity right now too. You, know, you think about companies like Amazon, Zoom, you know, and so on making really good business right now, like crazy good. Um, I saw an article the other day that um, when you think about services like DoorDash, Uber Eats, you know, things like that, it's starting up this whole new business model that we had never thought of before called, has anybody ever, ever heard of ghost kitchens? And so a ghost kitchen is a restaurant without a storefront. Mm. It's a restaurant that only does delivery via like DoorDash, Uber Eats and so on. And like, if you have a ghost kitchen, you don't need an expensive space, right? You don't need to have prime, you know, storefront at, on a major thoroughfare, right? You could literally be almost anywhere as long as you deliver. And so, it's going to kind of reshape some of those business models in ways that, you know, we're not really expecting right now. That'll be interesting. I think, sure, yeah. Um, 
I think people who will probably get hurt in this thing is uh, not the likes of Amazon. I think Amazon already have way, way too much power. Um, it's, it's the small businesses. It's your hairdressers, your dog walkers. Yeah, I think Jeannie just made a point about going to farmer's market, which I think is great. We, yeah, it's our responsibility to support small businesses and people where we live in our communities. If that stops, that will be, that will be a negative backstep for, for, for the world. You know, we have to consciously do things to, you know, um, facilitate that, I think. Yeah. Anybody else have thoughts how things are going to change? What new normal is going to look like? Well, after Sonny was mentioning his point, um, in the U.S., we do have um, our government um, providing stimulus for small businesses um, because, to your point, they are essential for the world, for the global um, economy. So some sort of um, protection for those small businesses who are having a hard time paying their employees, um, even be able to sustain themselves when we get ahead of all of this um, is, is a real challenge. So that's what the U.S. is doing. I would hope that other countries around the world would follow suit. To, this, to the extent they can, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot, I've, I've had, I was talking to a product manager the other day um, and he was saying, well, psh, you know, I work in B2B, you know, I sell to large enterprises. This doesn't really mm -hmm. affect me. This doesn't really affect me. I said, no, no, no. think again, buddy. That's the, that's the opposite of true. Think, yeah, because think. those enterprise level businesses, like they, it's consultant based, you know, they, they're also trimming the fat probably more so. Um, and so everything is getting impacted and it just goes to show how um, globally we are connected as a society. Um, yes. We thought with social media, we were connected to each other, but now we're seeing that that's just at the tip of the iceberg. But I will say this though, being like from a personal level, just the type of emails, you know, you listen to the radio, you just cannot escape this topic of COVID-19 and it's very mentally exhausting. So to be able to perform at the top of your game and your work, be the best mother, be the best everything that you, you can be, but have this mental drain on you every single day is, is right. tough. Um, but at the end of the day, like for me, I almost have to tune out at the end of the day, you know, the work day, I have to sort of tune out all of the COVID-19 talk because it will drive you crazy. <laughs> well, so, so here's, here's a thought and I totally agree with you. Um, We'll get away from the product management stuff and marketing stuff for just a second and just talk about you personally, right? Mm -hmm. You got to take care of yourself, everybody. You got to mm -hmm. stay healthy and all that. One upside to this whole situation over the last month or two and going forward for however long it goes forward, at least for me personally, is <clears throat> I've been eating healthier. My workouts have become more consistent. Um, you know, I've been walking around my neighborhood. I get like a two mile walk in every day. I'm doing a workout competition with another instructor on our watch and you know, I give her a hard time because I beat her every single week. She didn't like to hear that. Um, but we, you know, we go back and forth and it's, uh, you know, th there are ways to still be social and still get out there and get some fresh air, get some sunlight. And like you said, remain on the top of your game. Turn off the news, right? I only listen to the news for like 15 minutes a day uh, when I ask Alexa in the morning what's going on. And that's it. Because like you can very easily depress yourself if you turn, yeah. on, C if you turn on CNN uh, every night. Just don't do that. Don't do that. I agree. Thank you. All right. Rebecca, were there any other uh, questions that were top of mind for this? Uh, not at this point. Was there anyone else who wanted to share feedback from their breakout session? 
No. Guys, we so appreciate you joining us today. Uh, and I really, really mean it when I say, please, any ideas that you have about how we could structure this differently or do something different uh, to make these conversations good, I think it's just a great way for all of us to share practices. Uh, so again, AMAs will be every Friday. Uh, and then also we're starting this product chat series. So kind of a, a look with Joy Levin, who is great. If you don't know her, she does a lot of market research stuff, talking about some of those questions about Nihito and what's important to focus on now and how you might be able to do it. That is going to be this uh, coming Thursday. But uh, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you for your time, everybody. Stay safe uh, and let us know how we can help you guys during this time. Absolutely. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, this is really good, actually. Great. From, Thank you. Uh, yeah, great. Thanks so much. All right. Thank stay you. safe. Stay healthy.